Hey, it's Jackie, and it's officially summer. And if you're anything like me, summertime is kind of a hard time to stay connected to God. I mean, there's travel, changes in routine, shifts in schedules, family gatherings. I've got a large family, and that means people around 24-7. If you live in Texas during the summer, well, you better head to the lake. I mean, it's ungodly heat. Here we are underneath the heat dome. It needs to go away. If you're in New England, Minnesota, Michigan, you're heading to the lake, not because you're burning on fire, but because there are so many beautiful lakes up there, and it's a generational thing. It's like where your family's family's families made summer memories with cousins and aunts and friends. Now, let's be honest. When we're out at places during the summer, like at the lake, We're not getting up early and rushing home for Sunday church, are we? No. We feel guilty about it, but we aren't going. And the reason we feel guilty about it is because we've been taught that being close to knowing God happens when you attend church and read your Bible. And that's true. Um, Those are great aids to help us in our spiritual formation. But what if there are other spiritual practices ways of cultivating awareness and developing a stronger connection to God that seem to be made just right for our southern summer rhythms. That's what I want to talk about today. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Well, welcome back. I know that when I spoke in jest about staying at the lake house and not going to church, some of you cringed. And I get it, because just like you, my faith tradition trained me to believe that the best spiritual practices are reading our Bible and attending church a lot. And I've been really good at those practices. But I've also come to realize there are other ways I can commune with God, like going for a hike or sitting by the water, being intentionally present and sensual right where I am. Yes, You heard me say sensual, because sensual means using our senses, smell, see, touch, hear, feel. Activating our senses, our awareness, waking up to God right in front of us. That's a spiritual practice. And when I first heard this spiritual practice of getting out into nature to being aware, being fully present where you are put on the same level as like memorizing scripture or going to a Bible study, I was like, whoa, I mean, you can't say that. But my Franciscan sisters did. So I'm in this two-year spiritual direction training program with Franciscan sisters. 
And I joined the program because I wanted to see Jesus from another lens of Christianity. It's kind of like taking a beautiful diamond and just turning it and turning it and turning it and seeing what kind of beautiful infractions you can see. Because, you know, there's a whole lot of expressions of Christianity. There's the Catholic tradition, Greek Orthodox, Coptics, Protestants. And us Protestants, well, we have thousands of different kinds of expressions within Protestantism, right? And all of those are considered Orthodox. They make up this big umbrella we call Christianity. And each one of those traditions has something beautiful to offer us about our Jesus. Anyway, Franciscans are Catholic, not Roman Catholic. That's the main or the majority of Catholicism, this main strain. But Franciscans are what's called like the minor strand. And they coincide, they're equally embraced. Francis of Assisi founded the tradition back in the 13th century. And he was really wealthy, and, um, but he let go of all of his wealth to follow Jesus. Um, one author, who's also a Franciscan, um, used words to describe the lifestyle of Jesus. And this is what he said. Francis's words and lifestyle imitate Jesus, simplicity, compassion, inclusivity, and embodied love. The essential gospel teaching, quote unquote, remain in love, was Francis's core motivation and pursuit. And he knew that could be best done by staying close to the edge and the supposed bottom of society, which of course was not at the bottom at all. Francis was known to engage life in creation, right? He called creation God's cathedral. He called animals brother and sister, and he preached to the birds. He lived his faith out, not in the walls of a church, but in the garden, in woods, in sidewalks. And if you think about it, so did Jesus. Like he lived, right? Like when he met Women and men and boys and girls, where did he meet with them? Was it only in the synagogue or was it mostly in the synagogue? I don't think so. I mean, it was on a mountain, in a boat, on the road, outside, among God's creation. Jesus showed up. Scripture says we can see, know, and experience God through creation. Psalm 19 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. Romans 1.20 says it like this. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So what my Franciscan sisters have been telling me, challenging me to do, is to slow down. Become aware of my surroundings. Look for goodness, beauty, generosity, justice. Justice being defined by the Franciscans as the restoration of beauty to the broken. I like that. Restoration of the beauty to the broken. They're training me to wake up to God, that he's right here with me, in front of me, beside me particularly when I'm roaming around in his creation. He's there, just waiting for me to wake up to his presence right there in front of me. So I've been practicing this presence, this spiritual listening, this spiritual awareness, this sensuality, 
Like, for example, the other day, I was walking the trail in Austin, and a storm came, and it started to pour. And I'm looking at my phone, Googling something, and I hear the whisper, put it away. Be present. There's beauty before you, Jackie. And so I did. I got, I got intentional about being fully present in the rain. And oh my gosh, like the rain is pouring down on the lake and the plants. Have you ever noticed that when we water plants, they don't look the same as when God waters them, right? It's, it's water. But when God waters them, they perk off, like show off. They, they're like, their green gets greener. Have you noticed? And my heart started to leap as I paid attention with spiritual eyes and listened with spiritual ears and felt with my spiritual skin. Joy, just like a fluttering inside. Thomas Keating describes this kind of experience well when he said, when we practice being present, there's a growing awareness of our oneness with the whole human family and with all of creation. A sensitivity to the ever-present inspiration of the Spirit, not only during the time of formal prayer, but in the details of everyday life. See, this summer, we'll have everyday experiences and some special ones too, right? We'll go places for vacation, beautiful places with people we want to be with and some we don't. And I wonder if God is inviting us this summer to stop feeling guilty because we aren't doing what we were told to do, like open our Bible every day at 5.30 or go to church on Sunday. And instead, maybe he's offering us to find him in a new way, to engage him, see him, experience him, to be sensual right where we are. This summer, I'm going hiking in Glacier National Park. And my friend, Leslie Williams, yes, hi, Leslie, I mentioned you here, sorry, didn't ask permission, said that that park, that national park was so beautiful that you had to take a break from it. Some of you are going to go to places like that this summer, right? And I get what Leslie means, and so do you. Last year, I was on a four-day hike to Machu Picchu in Peru, Steve planned the trip and accidentally forgot to tell me that he booked a guide for the most remote trails, and oh yeah, we'd be climbing a 16,000-footer. And I reminded him that I had a torn meniscus, and I, maybe he had forgotten that I also had this blood disorder that can make it hard for my red blood cells to produce the appropriate level of oxygen. So yeah, get me on a mountain where there's less oxygen. Smart. So I'm hiking up in these Peruvian mountains. I've opened my senses to my surroundings, and at every turn, every step, there was just more awe. I mean more awe. It was crushing, just like Leslie said. There's this saying that I love. It says, beauty is crushing. It decenters us. It knocks us out of our self-centeredness and pulls us into transcendence. It takes our breath away. Yes, Yes, it does. When I was hiking, it felt like I was at a revival meeting for four days, constant worship, praise, prayer, joy. It kind of reminded me of what Moses must have felt like when he encountered God in Exodus thirty-three nineteen. I don't know if you remember the scene, but Moses asked God to see God's glory, his God's glorious presence, and God said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. And then he hid Moses behind the rock, remember, so that he wouldn't burn up from seeing the fullness of God because his beauty, goodness, generosity, justice, love is just a lot to take in all at once. 
And Isaiah can testify to that, right? In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is taken up into a vision before God, and he immediately, before the presence of God, cries out that he's undone. The word he uses in the text has the implication that he's about to disintegrate before such holiness. And that's exactly how I felt for four days on those Peruvian mountains. But it wasn't just the creation that God made around me that God was trying to show me. He was actually also pointing to me, to my mind, body, and soul that he created as a masterpiece, a one-of-a-kind, never-to-be-seen-again-in-history image bearer. You know, as I hiked, I kept saying to my body, I was so keenly connected to my body, and I kept saying to her, thank you for taking care of me. I promise I'll take care of you. Meaning that I would pay attention to what she was telling me. I would stop when she said stop. I would drink water when it was time to drink water. I've got to be honest, I was in awe of my body, what it could do and couldn't do. There was wonder and fascination and beauty and generosity and justice and love. Psalm 8.5 says, you made them humans. You made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. Crowned us with glory. The kind of glory that I was looking at in the mountains of Peru. If we could just let that one thing sink in, what would be different? That one thing, that we are something. We see beauty in creation, but what about in people? Can we attune ourselves to seek beauty in ourselves and others? Can we make that a spiritual practice this summer while we're at the lake or beach or mountains or in our backyard or at the ranch? When I think of summers, I think of nights around the campfire in upstate New York. Me sipping wine, the kids cooking marshmallows over the fire, cousins running around and screaming and fighting. Let's be honest, it's all there. Campfire. Or for some of you, it might be the table. But the point is, there are these summer experiences we have that are like magic. There's this thin space. You see, I'm even having a hard time describing it. But you know what I'm talking about. It's this sense of otherworldly. It's not there for long. It's kind of just a moment. And we could never recreate it if we tried. That's the divine. Opening that thin space for us to experience a taste of God's goodness, beauty, generosity, justice, love. That's an encounter with God. Do we get that? And it didn't even occur in the walls of the church. Why? Because God's everywhere, and he meets us right where we are if we just wake up to it. There's this saying that Valerie Carr says in her book, See No Stranger, which, by the way, is one of my favorite all-time books. This statement that she said I think is quite profound. She said, when we see something beautiful, we call it breathtaking, but we really should call it breath-giving. Because when suffering constricts the heart, awe stretches it back out, making us more compassionate, loving, and present humans. Maybe, 
maybe getting away from the routines, the schedules, and going to these places that we go to during the summer is a spiritual practice on par with attending Sunday school, Sunday service. I know, it sounds like an anathema. Maybe being in nature alone or with others can take the hard that we've been carrying. You know what I mean. The hard that happens solely because we are alive in this world that is beautiful and beautifully broken. We take that hard and we engage God through creation. And in that act, the divine provides our soul the space to maybe heal or at least enlarge our capacity to be more appropriately human, just like his son, Jesus. Now, I don't really think I'm telling you anything you don't already know. You've had these experiences. But I know that many of us feel guilty that our communing with God during the summer doesn't look like what we've been told it's supposed to look like. Bible study reading at 5.35 a.m., which, by the way, I think is an ungodly hour. I don't think anybody should be reading their Bible that early. Memorization, right? Bible memorization, church attendance, all good things. Hear me say that. All good things. But I like the way Barbara Brown Taylor writes about it in her book. It's called An Altar in the World. And I'm, I'm going to read a short section to you. And so hang with me here. I'm going to start on page 11. It says, when I was 16, I joined a real church under my own steam. I was not then aware of the vast differences among churches. I thought God was God, and according to some of my friends, I did not know the first thing about who God was or what he wanted from me. So I joined their church to find out and quickly learned that my love of the world was misplaced. The church taught me that only God was worthy of my love and that only the Bible could teach me about God. For the first time in my life, I was asked to choose between God and the world. Like all who write what they remember, I am inventing the truth. But what I think I remember is that I learned in church to fear the world, or at least to suspect it. I learned that my body was of the world and that my bodily shame was appropriate The kissing of boys should stop at once, my new teachers told me, as should all other flirtations with the temptation of the flesh. In the same way that the church was holier than the world, so the spirit holier than the flesh. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But if the world had not been such a rotten place, then that son need not have died. For many of those same churches, I learned how important it was to love God and my neighbor as myself, to share what I had with those who had less, and to stand ready to lay down my life for my friends. I rose to those teachings like a seedling to the sun. They tapped my secret wish to be gallant. They gave me important things to do. If they also drove a wedge between me and the world I so loved, then I don't remember noticing that at the time. What I noticed was that I had found a church, a holy book, and a people of the book who promised me safety from worldly powers I did not even know were there. All I had to do was trust the God of the church more than I trusted the gods of the world, living living the kind of in but not of the world life that announced my true allegiance, where my true allegiance lay. From that rough start, I went on to learn that there are many different kinds of churches, many different ways to read the Bible, and many different ways that people of faith engage the world. Yet I never entirely escaped the subtle teaching that the world of the flesh is not to be trusted. 
As lovely, startling, and disturbing as the world may be, it is a world of appearances, not of truth. Or so I thought. Only the Bible contained real truth, the truth that sets people free. Fortunately, the Bible I set out to learn and love rewarded me with another way of approaching God, a way that trusts the union of spirit and flesh as much as it trusts the world to be a place of encounter with God. Like anyone else, I do some picking and choosing when I go to my holy book for proof that the world is is holy too, but the evidence is there. People encounter God under shady oak trees, on riverbeds, at the top of mountains in long stretches of barren wilderness. God shows up in whirlwinds and starry skies and burning bushes and perfect strangers. When people want to know more about God, the Son of God tells them to pay attention to the lilies in the field and the birds in the air, to women kneading bread and workers lining up for their pay. Whoever wrote this stuff believed that God could learn, that people could learn as much about the ways of God from paying attention to the world as they could paying attention to Scripture. What is true is what happens, even if what happens is not always right. People can learn as much about the ways of God from business deals gone bad or sparrows falling to the ground as they can from reciting the books of the Bible in order. They can learn as much from a love affair or a wildflower as they can from knowing the Ten Commandments by heart. This is wonderful news. I do not have to choose between the Sermon on the Mount and the Magnolia Trees. God can come to me by a still pool on the Big Island of Hawaii, as well as the altar of the Washington National Cathedral. The house of God stretches from one corner of the universe to the other. Sea monsters and ostriches live in it, along with people who pray in languages I do not speak, whose names I will never know. I love that line. You do not have to choose between the Sermon on the Mount and the Magnolia Trees. This summer, God is giving us permission to take a walk, sit by the lake, watch a child play, eat great summer food, smell as you walk in the woods. This summer, let's practice breathing in God's beauty and goodness and generosity, justice and love. And on that note... I want to let you know that I'm going to be taking a summer break from podcasting. I'll be back in September, and I am so grateful for all of you. You inspire me. Now go and have a sensual summer. See you in September. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.